Hello. Thank you for listening to the sermon from our Revive service. We hope it helps you learn more about God and allows you to grow closer to Him and in your faith. Well, good morning. My name is Pastor Aaron Varner. Uh, I have the great privilege and joy of being the senior pastor here. We have some visitors. Thank you for joining us. Um, and uh, just so you know, if you're here and um, you need to access the gym, the gym is available right out the back and the live feed is there as well. And so uh, hopefully my daughter up front will behave. But if not, uh, Wayne, you can escort her to the gym. Okay. And uh, we don't mind if children uh, laugh, cry, sing, whatever. We want them to be a part of this. And uh, it actually is sweet to me. I love hearing children. And so uh, we're just really glad that you're here. If you have your Bibles and turn to the book of Acts with me, we're going to continue our study as we unpack the book of Acts, Acts chapter 11 today. Uh, and this is uh, um, in conjunction, in connection with last week when we covered Acts chapter 10. And uh, so this is kind of a two-part mini-series, as I said last week, um, uh, called Amazed and Criticized. And so we're going to see in Acts chapter 11. Um, Acts chapter 11, verses 1 through 18, will be up on the screen uh, when I read it here in just a moment. Then we're going to go back to the book of Luke, the gospel of Luke, and we're going to see Dr. Luke writes this book of Acts, uh, and he also pens the gospel of Luke, and we're going to look at three different um, stories that he writes about that connect with what we see here in Acts 11. But I want to let you know that I will not have those three passages, and purposefully I did not put them up on the screen, because sometimes, maybe sometimes, you get a little lazy, all right? And so this morning, I want to help you not to be lazy, all right? And I want you to open your Bibles, all right? And that doesn't mean that you're not paying attention. I'm not being overly critical, okay? I'm just saying, if you have your Bible, open it. Let's follow along, and we're going to read in Acts chapter Acts chapter 10, and when we look at this, Acts chapter 11, and when we look at this passage um, today, it, it really kind of fits with, in some ways, where our culture is in criticism. Last week, we looked at the, the last part of chapter 10. They were amazed, those believers that were with um, Peter as he's sharing the good news to Cornelius and to his family and friends. They're amazed because they see the Spirit of God descending upon these non-Jews, these Gentiles, and they're able to, to speak in tongues. They're able to understand the message, and they're, they're worshiping God, and they're amazed. In a sense, when you look back to Acts Two, this is this is what happens in Acts two, but but this is now to the Gentiles. That was to the Jews and to the apostles in Acts chapter two, the the, the coming of the Spirit of the day of Pentecost, and now we see the Spirit descending upon the Gentiles in, in a very real way. And so some people have called this the Gentile Pentecost uh, in Acts chapter ten. So we're going to read Acts chapter eleven. I want to pray with you and after that, and then we'll dig in and try to unpack some truths. So let's read together. If you would follow along, Acts chapter 11, starting in verse 1. Now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea 
heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him, saying, You went to uncircumcised men and ate with them? Peter began and explained it to them in, in order. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, something like a great sheet descending, being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down to me. Looking at it closely, I observed animals and beasts of prey and reptiles and birds of the air. And I heard a voice saying to me, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, By no means, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But the voice answered a second time from heaven, What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and all was drawn up again into heaven. Behold, at that very moment, three men arrived at the house in which we were sent to me from Caesarea. And the Spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. These six brothers also accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. And he told us how he had seen the angel stand in his house and say, Send a Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter. He will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and all your household. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them, just as on us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? When they heard these things, they fell silent. And they glorify God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. Would you pray with me? Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the opportunity to open it, to unpack some of the truths this morning. I pray that we would allow your spirit to speak to us and the truths of your word to have an impact on our minds and upon our hearts so that when we leave here in just a little bit, we will be changed because we've met with you, because we've listened to you. And because we desire to um, live for you in the, in the ways that you're leading us. So help us to be attentive to your leading this morning. And may we be responsive in obedience. And we pray this in the precious name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. We see a recalling that, that Peter has as he retells this story. In verse 1, it shows the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea, the word has gotten to them um, that the Gentiles, uh, that Cornelius, and maybe others, uh, we've seen the Gentiles as a whole, starting word starting to pass along, even with Paul uh, before Peter, um, that the word, the gospel message has been passed to them, and they're, they're accepting it. In verse 2, so when Peter went up to Jerusalem, um, the circumcision party criticized him. And so um, we're going to see this not only here, but we're going to see this moving forward um, throughout not just the book of Acts, but we see it also a little bit in Romans, and we see it also in Galatians, where there is, there is a wrestling of the Jews of why the Gentiles and how the Gentiles can accept um, the gospel message, and how can they be included in the promises of God? And so we see here that they get word. Peter went, shared the gospel, but know that it's not about 
Peter sharing the gospel. Up until this point, there's not been a controversy about Peter or Paul or the apostles sharing the gospel message with the Gentiles. There's something more that's involved in this. And so as we look at this, let's look a little bit deeper. Verse 3 says, you went to uncircumcised men and what? What's it say? You ate with them. All right, there's something very spiritual to the Jew about when you gather together and as you eat. When you do some, again, when you do some study and background, that's one of the reasons why communion is so critical and important to us. All right, it's not just another meal, but it is a real truth of, of having that Lord's Supper where we gather together and we partake of those elements representing our Savior, Jesus Christ. And so that spans out of the Passover meal and the importance of the Passover meal uh, as they were to remember God's deliverance of the Jewish people, of his nation, Israel, and, and deliverance from slavery out of Egypt. And so food and mealtime was, is, was very critical um, to the Jews. I'm not Jewish, but I think I have part of that Jewish heritage, and that's why I love food so much. We see that's the issue. It's not about the gospel message. It's not about even spending a little bit of time with them. It's about eating the food. It's about partaking in something that was uh, holy over here, and those who were Gentiles were unclean. And now Peter has entered into that realm of uncleanness, and, 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 and it would be similar to us of when we see an uh, in a way, and a believer partaking with an unbeliever in something that we would say is sinful. All right? So I want to be careful there. The Jews saw this action as sinful. They saw what Peter had done as sin. And so they're confronting Peter. And so Peter gives an account. And that's why Peter is so thorough in, in recalling the events of all of chapter 10 to those who were of the circumcision party. So Peter, verse 4, Peter begins and explained it to them in order. And so Dr. Luke gives us, Dr. Luke could have just summed it up, but he didn't. He gave us a, the full account again of what Peter is sharing Part of that is not just for us today, but part of that is for the early church and for the Jew, the, the Jew believers to understand and to have in writing what the gospel means, not only to the Jews, but also to the Gentiles. So that as they read this letter, this book, the book of Acts, they are able to understand, not in summary, but in the fullness that the gospel message is for the Jew and the Gentile. And so Peter goes through, he gives, gives the account how he was in the city of Joppa, he was praying, he saw this sheet descend, and it came, uh, it was let down from heaven in his four corners. Um, and verse 6, it says, looking at it closely, I observed animals and beasts of prey and reptiles and birds of the air. Now, if you want to do a little research, you can go to Leviticus 11, and Leviticus 11 will give you the kind of the detail of the dietary restrictions of the law. 
And so you weren't allowed to eat some animals and some things. And this clearly shows a description of some of those unclean animals. I'm not going to dig into the weeds there with you, but you can do some of that. Last week, I challenged us. We, as North Americans, most of us are not from Jewish descent, meaning we are these animals, meaning this is us. We're not the privileged over here. We are actually these unclean animals that God has said, is saying to Peter as we read here, you, I, I am saying that they are, can and will be a part of this. And so he's extended grace to you and to me that we don't deserve the, the fullness of the gospel. It's been extended to you and I that we could hear the good news of Jesus and to accept that even though we aren't the nation of Israel, even though we don't deserve to be saved, God has extended that grace and mercy to us. And so Peter gives account, verse 7, I heard the voice saying, rise, Peter, kill and eat. Um, but I said, by no means, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. Um, Interesting is, again, as we go back and we look at Mark, Mark chapter 7, verse 15, and Matthew 15, 11, Jesus has already given clarity about food and the fact that food um, doesn't defile a person. And so all food is able to be eaten, Jesus says. It is the heart that is, that is wicked, and that is what... Um, the evil comes out of. It's not what goes in. It's what's in us that comes out. Um, so the voice entered, uh, talked to Peter again, answered a second time from heaven, what God has made clean, do not call common. And so very clearly, again, this happens three times and all was drawn up into heaven. And I made a point last week and we see it again here. Um, those animals don't just descend. They don't just scatter those animals, what does it say there in the text? They're drawn up to heaven. And so here are these unclean animals that are actually taken to heaven. And us as non-Jews, we as believers in Jesus Christ, we have that great hope and that privilege of being drawn up into heaven um, as we place our faith and trust in him. Verse 11, he continues and he talks about now he's going to bring in the account he gives his account of, of what God was speaking to him about. And now he's going to give the account of why it caused him to go to Caesarea and to meet with Cornelius and his family. Verse 11, behold, at that very moment, three men arrived at the house, uh, which were, which where we were sent to me from Caesarea. And the spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. Peter says again, I didn't have to go with them, but I realized the Spirit of God was leading me. And listen, folks, that's probably point number one as we look here. We have to listen to the Spirit of God. And it must line up with the Word of God, but we need to be in tune so that as the Spirit leads us, we are obedient to the Spirit. Peter knows he can't make a distinction and just say, well, these are Gentiles. These are the unclean. I don't, I'm not going to go with them. No, he's listening to the spirit of God. And so he's not making a distinction between them and himself. So these six brothers 
who are probably with him as he's sharing this story. Um, they go with him, and uh, they, they accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. And he told us how he had seen the angel stand in his house and say, Send to Joppa and bring Simon, who's called Peter. He would declare to you a message. Notice what Peter says here about the message. This is critical. This is the foundation of our faith. All right. The message by which you will be saved, you and all your household. The gospel message is about salvation. I want to take you now, if you would look at Luke chapter 7. We're going to look at Luke 7, Luke 15, and Luke 19. Luke chapter 7, verse 33 through 35. Luke chapter 7, verse 33 through 35, it says, uh, Peter, or Jesus is responding to some criticism and uh, how he and John the Baptist are viewed. And he says this, for John the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking no wine, and you say he has a demon. So the equation is this, John the Baptist, no bread, no wine, equals has a demon. Let's continue. It says the Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, look at him, a glutton, a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. So here comes Jesus, and his equation is eating and drinking equals friend of tax collectors and sinners and drunkards. We see this importance. We look at tax collectors and we say, oh, okay, tax collectors. Maybe they're like the IRS. We're, you know, you get a letter in the mail and you're like, oh, man. Tax collectors, drunkards, sinners equals you stay away from them. You move yourself away and you purposefully do not engage in them. But we see that Jesus is doing that very thing. What we're going to look at as we look at all three of these texts in Luke, as Luke's writing this, and it it comes on the heels, and the reason why I want to look at these is because in Acts, we see the criticism that Peter is receiving is no different than the criticism that Jesus received. And it probably should be no different than the criticism you and I should receive as we live out our faith as well. And so on the heels of this, um, we see a story that Luke writes for us about uh, a sinful woman. And so the Pharisees asked Jesus to come in, in verse 36 of Luke 7, and he goes into the Pharisee's house. He's reclining at the table. Behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she leaned, learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster flask of ointment, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to weep, wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with ointment. 
Now, when when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. Jesus answered, saying to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. And he says, a certain money lender had two debtors, one owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they could not pay, he canceled the debt out of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, from whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning to the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. And you did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. And he says to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were reclining at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this? Who even forgives sins. And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. So the equation here is forgiven little equals love little. Forgiven much equals love much. Where are you in that? Have you been forgiven much or forgiven little? When you look, when you really dig into your heart and into your life, do you realize how much God has forgiven you? How much mercy and grace and love he has displayed to you? We are called then to love much. Flip over a few chapters into Luke chapter 15, if you would please. Luke chapter 15, verses 1, uh, one and 2. We see here, The tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to Jesus to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. Is that not what we just read in Acts chapter 11? This man gathers with these sinners and he's eating with them? Notice Jesus' response. Now, oftentimes, we'll take these parables out of this context and we'll apply them, sometimes rightly, sometimes not. But notice the context of these parables. He's going to share three parables in the context of here he is meeting, gathering, and eating with sinners. Verse 3. Chapter 15. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after that one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. 
Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents." And he says, there was a certain man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger man gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to, to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have had enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion. And the man embraced, ran and embraced him and kissed him. And his son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. And I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servant, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put on a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard the music and the dancing and he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. And, but he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Folks, we do not deserve the grace of God. The gospel message. Something was lost in all three of these parables. Jesus is sharing these parables to help those who are watching him live his life say, this person, these people, these sinners who I am eating with, they don't have the hope of eternal life. They're dead. And I'm reaching them so that they may be alive. They were lost so they can be found. That's why I'm doing what I'm doing. One more passage over just a few pages. Luke 19. 
we see this encounter with the short, wee little man. Jesus entered Jericho, Luke 19.1, and he was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. He was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into the sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked and he said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry, come down, for I must stay at your house today. Let me just pause there for a second. When I heard that story all these years, it didn't make sense why that was a big deal. When I read Acts chapter 10 and 11, it makes sense now. Jesus wasn't supposed to go to his house. That was off limits. He is major, major tax collector, dude. Meaning, he is not one you want to be buddy-buddy with if you're Jewish. Let's see what happens. Verse 6, so he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when he saw it, they all grumbled. They all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is the son of Abraham. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. If you're sitting here this morning and you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, it's not because of your goodness. It's because Jesus has come to seek and save you. I believe in our American church today, we are so proudful and arrogant thinking that we deserve so much more than what, what God has given us. We have lost touch with what Jesus has done. The Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost which then, when we compare that to what we read in Acts 11, that the message that was going to be declared to Cornelius was one of salvation. Peter finishes this to the Jews as he's explaining his story he says I began to speak and the Holy Spirit fell on them just as on us in the beginning meaning there was no distinction between Jew and Gentile and then he says I remember the word of the Lord how he said John baptized with water but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit Luke chapter 3 verse 16 you may want to make a note there and then he says, if then God gave the same gift to them, 
as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? The response of the circumcision party was this then. When they heard these things, they fell silent. In the Greek, that means they abandoned their objections. And they glorify God, saying, then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. This morning, I want to encourage you first to examine your own heart and life. Has salvation come to you and to your house? Have you repented and turned from your sin to claim Jesus as the Savior of your soul? There is only one way to God the Father, and that's through his Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through him. We must claim him as Savior, as the one who gave his life, his perfect life, upon the cross. He died upon the cross. He was buried, and there he laid for three days, and God raised him from the dead, conquering sin and death, and allowing us to have the gift of eternal life. Because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ, our sin and the payment we deserve has been paid for. This morning, if you've not yet accepted Jesus as your Savior, you need to do that. Let me encourage you. Let me plead with you. Accept Jesus today. There is no other way. If you've accepted Jesus as your Savior... I think it's a call to us today to humbly repent. To repent of our arrogance, to repent of our lack of action, to repent of an attitude of mightiness, of arrogance, to think that we are something special compared to someone else. I don't want to lessen who we are. We are children of God, and that is something great and glorious, and it's wonderful, and it gets us through every day to know that God is with us, living inside of us, that we are not only called children, but we are heirs to the throne, and that we have one who intercedes on our behalf, Jesus Christ, our Savior. That is special, that God would look at us and see his son, Jesus, and his righteousness. But as we live life here on this earth, may that not carry over into an attitude that we are something special. That we've got it all together and that we can be secluded and live our lives in our own little world. We are called to be his ambassadors we are called to live our lives as witnesses of God's wonderful grace. We saw very early the purpose of this letter, of this account that Dr. Luke writes is found in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. But you will receive, you the apostles will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You will be my witnesses. We are called today as witnesses of God's grace evidenced in our lives to give witness to others. 
How are you doing that? That may mean that you have to go somewhere that would be considered unclean. I'm not calling you to sin. I'm not calling you to go against the, the spirits leading in your conscience, your convictions. I am calling you to get out of your house, your home, your comfort zone, and to do the very thing that God's called us to do. Understanding that as we obey God, there will be an amazement, but there may be some criticism as well. They glorified God because they saw the Gentiles were part of God's plan too. Romans chapter 11, the grafting in of the Gentiles. We are part of that. And so we don't just sit around and join church and join our Christian friends. We are called to action. And that action is giving witness and giving account of what Jesus has done for us. So as you sit there, I wonder if you would, would you bow your head? And, is there somebody that God has put on your mind and on your heart right now that you would, that you would say, you know what? I need to share Jesus with this individual or this family or this person. Maybe you see God working in your life and in a situation and circumstance. And you don't want to get in the way. You want to be God's instrument. Would you pray and ask for God's help? For wisdom, for understanding. Lord, I thank you for the goodness of the gospel message. It is absolutely amazing that we as mankind in our condition of sin left helpless and hopeless by ourselves would be able to see the gift that you provided as you provided your son Jesus Christ and as Jesus took our penalty took our shame, took the full wrath upon his shoulders for our sin, and he died for us. It is absolutely amazing. And as we've read these accounts in Luke's gospel, Lord, I can't help but to see myself as the one who is lost. And I thank you, Lord, for your grace that's evidence in our lives as you've reached to us sinful men and women. Thank you for your mercy. It is not enough for us just to be thankful. Lord, we owe you our lives and we are called to be your witness. And so, Lord, may we go leaving here today 
boldly living our lives, knowing that there will be some who are amazed and some who will criticize. But Lord, we are called to obey you and your spirit and your word. And so may we joyfully, graciously, carefully share the truth of your word so that others may be found so that others may be saved. We have the best news in all the world. May we live it and share it. And we can't do that without your help, Lord. So guide us and direct us. And may we be obedient. We pray this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.